Welcome to another edition of Legends of Film. I'm William Chamberlain. Today we have an interview with writer and director Neil Marshall. Mr. Marshall has directed Dog Soldiers, Doomsday, Centurion, and The Descent. The Descent will be shown Saturday, October 7, 2017 at 2 p.m. at the main library on 615 Church Street in the auditorium. More later, on to the interview. I'm showing your movie, The Descent, which you wrote and directed, and you stated the inspiration was a lot of sources, and there's a horror film in there somewhere. Could you talk about the inspirations and the writing of the script? I think the, the very, very first thing that, 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 that inspired The Descent, although I didn't know it at the time, was I went on a school trip when I was, I don't know, maybe 10, 11 years old, uh, and we went down a mine, and uh, at some point on the trip, we, we were down the mine, and we were looking around this place, and the the person who was leading the, the trip said uh, to everybody to turn off their torches, and uh, we all did, and for the first time in our lives, we experienced pitch black, like real pitch black, not, you know, not hiding in your wardrobe or hiding under the covers kind of black, but real pitch black where you can, like, wave your hand inches in front of your eyes and you cannot see a thing because there was no light there whatsoever. And so I think that that definitely like struck a nerve somehow and, and stayed with me. And then many, many years later, you know, I was searching for an idea for a horror film and I, yeah, I've always been a big fan of the film uh, Deliverance, John Bowman's film Deliverance and Ridley Scott's movie Alien and uh, probably also The Shining as well. I think, you know, just three very, very important horror movies that inspired me and uh, had this idea of a movie set in the cave um, and what it would be about and then came up with the story of these these cavers because I was aware of the world of cavers and uh, it's just like I, I, I wasn't a caver myself at that point. I was certainly an outdoors person. I like climbing mountains and things like that, but I, I'd never gone caving. But I was certainly aware of the world of, of this kind of stuff, and I'd seen some photographs, and it looked really unpleasant and claustrophobic. And I thought that this might be a good idea for a, a horror movie. Um, and so, like you know, you know, piece by piece, the story came together that there was going to be a bunch of cavers, and they were going to find something down the down the cave. That there was going to be some creatures there because I like doing monster movies. And then I had to figure out like what the creatures were going to be and how they worked. And then at some point. I can't remember exactly when, but at some point it was it was thought of that, you know, what, why not make it an all-female cast instead of all guys? And a lot of that came from the research of this world of uh, the climbing fraternity, the climbing and, and uh, spelunking fraternity. There is an awful lot of women involved in that. It's, it seems to be very equally split. You know, there's men and women do rock climbing and caving and all sorts. And I just thought, well, why not? In this day and age, it's like, why shouldn't there be a bunch of women going on an adventure weekend and uh it all goes horribly wrong so so yeah i mean it, it was it was lots of different things really that all came together to form that particular story the descent and along with your other films centurion doomsday dog soldiers and even your short movie brain death deals with groups of people who are cut off from society and are in grave danger uh, what's your attraction to that type of story I don't know. I like I like the idea of people fighting against the odds. I like survival stories. I've always been inspired by survival stories. That stuff that I've read of 
either you know either survival against nature or survival against you know, uh, you know uh, outnumbered against an enemy of some kind. I think I always kind of root for the underdog in, in these kind of situations, and um, yeah, it's 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 often that really. Could you discuss the creation of the crawlers, the monsters in the cave, and the descent? So the idea came to me that um, I, the, the more like people these creatures were, the scarier they'd be. The more that you know, if if I was to make them more like goblins or something like that, I think they would be a lot less scary. And so I thought I want to make them like people, but then it was well, why are they in a cave? And then I just thought, well, what if, you know, what if cavemen or, you know, people, you know, the, the, the idea of cavemen, what if these particular group hadn't evolved and kind of moved out of the cave like the rest of us, you know, all these thousands or millions of years ago? What if they'd stayed in the cave? And in fact, instead of coming out of the cave, they'd gone further into the cave. And as a as a group, as a tribe or a group or whatever, they kind of evolved and, to live inside the cave, and, and their bodies have changed over these thousands of years to adapt to that environment of not being able to see anything, so they rely on, more like bats, I guess, you know, they rely on hearing and then this kind of sonar clicking kind of thing that allows them to figure out where they are and that they've become very, very good good at climbing uh, inside this environment. And so I thought that, that you know, they're going to be very physically fit they're going to be very lithe and, and you know not super muscular but like not scrawny either so it was it was all of this this stuff came together to, to you know to, to make the callers and then I uh, I knew some actors who worked for a theatrical group uh, in my local town and um, I knew that they had the right physicality for it um, they weren't they weren't super muscular, but they had lots of definition in in in, in the muscles on them. They were kind of skinny, but with lots of definition, and uh, it was kind of and they were great at physical theatre as well. And so I thought I'd rather than cast um, like stuntmen or dancers or something like that in, in, as the callers, I'd rather get a group of actors who a know each other, have worked together, are very close, but are kind of masters of physical theatre and mime and. Uh, the use of their bodies and things like that to get a performance across when they can't speak, and obviously the crawlers can't speak. So it, it was it was that kind of thing, and then then we figured out you know the, the makeup design and how they'd look, and and uh, took it from there. Okay, your niece Molly was a little girl then. She had a small part in the descent. Has she yeah. seen the movie? And what does she think? Uh, well, she's now. She's now 20 years old and is a, a, a just a, at college now studying film. So, so I'm going to chip off the old block there. Um, and she uh, she saw the film uh, many years ago now. I think she's seen it several times now. Uh, I think my my sister waited a, a, you know a while before showing it to her. Yeah. But also because she was she was involved in the making of it and she kind of. She met the creatures and she saw the kind of how it was made, so it wasn't so scary for her in that sense. Um, but yeah, no, she she saw it and she loved it and tells all her friends. I think it's a little you know claim to fame for her that she made this film so many years ago and now she's studying to make her own films. Uh, you stated you listened to the motion picture soundtrack to Insomnia and while you wrote the script to The Descent and you like to listen to soundtracks when you write and. I'm an avid soundtrack collector myself. And what did you listen to when you wrote Dog Soldiers, Doomsday, and Centurion? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, 
I think when I was writing Dog Soldiers, I was listening to a lot of the score from war movies, things like A Bridge Too Far and uh, stuff like that, but also um, Aliens. I listened to the score for Aliens quite a lot when I was writing Dog Soldiers. And then, obviously, Insomnia was, was uh, and The Shining was for a Descent. Uh, Doomsday, I was listening to an awful lot of 80s music, like of which is which is in the film, uh, like Adam and the Ants and Susie and the Banshees, and a lot of you know rock music from the 80s, as opposed to uh, an actual theatrical score. Uh, and Saturian, with that, I was listening to a lot of like Celtic music because because it, it's all set in Scotland. So I was listening to a lot of uh, like drum-based Celtic music and maybe a bit of Gladiator, things like that. You directed the Game of Thrones episode, The Watchers on the Wall, and listening to Steve Kullback and Joe Bauer, the visual effects supervisors, they said this about you. Neil has a mind for battle. Uh, we were with him when he stood in the middle of Castle Black Courtyard set. He immediately said they should be climbing up there, they should knock through here, and these guys should be here. They went on to state it was clear to Neil and everyone followed suit. Now, my question is, where does this mind for battle come from? <laughs> um, okay, so my granddad uh, was in the army. He fought in the Battle of the Somme. And my dad was also in the army. Um, he didn't serve during the war, but he served just after the Second World War. And uh, and I suppose it's like you know, part of that is in my blood. And I guess there was a point in my life when I thought, you know, maybe I should pursue a military career, uh, or you know, or, or go with film. And I obviously chose film. But so that was like that's been in my mind a lot in my life. Uh, I'm a student of military history. I love films and books about military history. I find military strategy to be very, very fascinating. I mean, all strategy is fascinating, but military strategy in particular is fascinating, and certainly reading up on the history of warfare and such like. So I guess I've, I've always been a student of that kind of thing, and uh, and it kind of came naturally when I was writing, you know, like in, in Centurion, when I wrote a battle, I was like trying to figure out if I was the picked, how would I ambush the Romans when you're like hopelessly outnumbered and how can you use the landscape to your advantage and you know, how can you fight this enemy? I suppose I put myself into the that mindset of trying to think like them. And that same thing happened with uh with both of the episodes of um Game of Thrones that I did, because I did the Battle of Blackwater as well. And and it was that, that thing of like I read the script, I understood what was required, but then I, I I applied to it a military strategies of like, well, who, you know, what is everybody's objectives and what are they trying to do to achieve those objectives, which weren't necessarily in the script at that time. And, and so I applied that kind of thinking to it of, of say, for example, you have an army of like 400,000 men. You don't just attack one door because, you know, there's only like 20 or 30 at the front can do anything. The rest are just going to be standing around. So you spread them out along the wall and you bring you bring ladders and you attack a, a wall in multiple places, not in one place, so that the enemy or the defenders have to spread out to fight you. Things like that. It's it's just, it's, you know, I've, I've done a lot of reading and a lot of thinking about it. So I brought that to the Battle of Blackwater. I brought different kind of strategies to the watchers on the wall and, Again, it was like, well, what are these guys 
doing to attack the, the Castle Black and what are these guys doing to defend Castle Black? I find that very, very fascinating, and uh, it's been, you know, it's been good in my work to do that. Continuing on this subject, combat plays a major part in your movies, and when you direct a movie, do you see it as a form of military campaign and you're the general? <laughs> well, um, I know some people kind of see it that way, and I suppose if I do see it that way, um, I don't. I don't necessarily see myself as a general. Maybe more like a, you know, a, a sergeant or something like that. Because I do believe, you know, that, that usually there's people higher up in ranks than me, like the producers or the financiers or the studio or something like that. So maybe they're the generals and the admirals. Who knows? But uh, I consider myself a leader to the crew, and I wouldn't ask them to do anything I wouldn't do myself. So as in, like, I would lead by example. Like if it's filming up a hill or filming in a dangerous place or filming in a cold environment is like, well, I'm, I'm prepared to be there and, you know, stand there with them as much as they are. So I suppose there's some element of kind of military leadership to that, but, you know, it's still, it's not actual military leadership, you know, it's not actual war or actual combat. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I always remember that fact, but, um, but yeah, you, you do, you do, it certainly requires some strategy to do the job that we do and think your way through it, and, and it does require good leadership. So you know, hopefully I, I do that okay. Dog Soldiers and Doomsday and Centurion, which in each one of these movies I found it interesting, they're, each time they're portrayed by their superiors in the movies, and betrayal seems to run through your movies, and what's your attraction to that theme? Uh, maybe I just don't trust, uh, you know, uh, uh, figures of authority or bureaucrats or uh, something. I don't know. It's not a conscious thing. I, and, and I can't think that I've noticed that I do that in all the movies. I suppose I, I always tend to side with the man on the ground uh, in these situations. And I guess there's got to be a villain somewhere in these stories. So it ends up being the, the authority figure or the the, the, the the politician or something like that. So... Yeah, I, I, it's not a conscious thing. I don't. I, it's interesting that you should point it out. Okay, uh, you directed an episode of Hannibal called "The Great Red Dragon," and it it was the introduction of Francis Dolaride, the Tooth Fairy, played by Richard Armitage. And to introduce Francis Dolaride, you used this non-verbal, visually striking montage. Could you discuss the reasoning behind that? Well, that was very much as the script was written. You know, we had great writers on that show, and uh, Brian Fuller, the showrunner, was, you know, it's very much his vision. Uh, and so between him, uh, the scripts, myself, and the cinematographer, um, you know, we came up with this idea. I mean, one, one thing that was very, very interesting was Brian kind of took me to one side at the start of the show and said, look, um, you know, this is the this is like an art house film disguised as a TV series. So, if you have like any artistic ideas that you want to try, please try them because you know this isn't the kind of show where that's going to be stifled. We'd like you to be visually creative and just just try stuff. You know, just go and be creative. And that was like I'd not really experienced that before, and it's not necessarily something I think about in my own work that much, but. Um, it was fun. It was a lot of fun just to kind of stretch those creative muscles and, and just be like deliberately artistic every once in a while. And so we t we tried a lot of crazy ideas in that particular episode, and I'm very very proud of them. Um, some of some of the little beats, that montage. Um, there's a shot of um, Will standing over this this uh, dead body with 
these uh, the red strings that they put at crime scenes to show where the blood spray goes, and they're behind him, and they form the red wings of the dragon kind of behind him, and just ideas like that that I threw into the mix, and they allowed me to do it, and and, and end up with a sort of beautiful shot. So very very proud of that, yeah. In Doomsday, uh, there's the striking image between the futuristic soldier and the medieval knight that inspired the entire movie. Could you discuss how you went from that image to script? Yeah, I, I can't remember exactly. I had this vision, this dream. I can't remember exactly what it was. of like a futuristic soldier squaring off with a medieval knight. And then my, my question was, how can I achieve that without it being a time travel story? Because I didn't want to do a time travel thing. I didn't want a time machine or anything like that. So, like, how, how, what, what story could there exist by which this moment would happen? And I kind of reverse engineered it from there. Of like, well, you know, the post-apocalyptic society, and in Scotland where there's lots of castles full of suits of armor and there's horses and things like that. Maybe in a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic society, uh, some survivors might go and live in these castles because these castles are hundreds of years old and they're still standing and they're very strong and maybe they kind of raid the, the museum element and they steal the suits of armor and they put it on and they go and ride a horse and suddenly they're adopting this lifestyle of medieval lifestyle in this post-apocalyptic world and then you have the, the survivors of whatever it is that's caused this thing uh, going up to check them out. And, and and ultimately that, that created the moment of the futuristic soldier and the medieval knight without time travel. And the, the rest of the story kind of fed, fit into place around that. Okay. Um, could you discuss how writer-director Walter Hill, who directed The Warriors and Hard Times, and Xenophon, a ancient Greek philosopher, historian, soldier, mercenary, and student of Socrates, gave you the inspiration while making Centurion? Yeah, well, I've been a, bit, I've been a huge fan of Walter Hill, uh, all his movies, really, growing up in the, in the you know the 70s and the 80s. Uh, I, I started to watch Walter Hill movies in the 80s with the advent of VHS and getting to see The Long Riders and The Driver and, uh, and ultimately The Warriors, you know, at, at some point then, and just immediately, like, loving those movies, but particularly loving The Warriors. And at some point, whilst reading about The Warriors, or reading an interview with Hill talking about The Warriors, uh, him explaining that it was all loosely based on the story of Xenophon. And, and you know, it, it's weird how this works. It's like either a film will inspire you to look at, at books or history, or history will inspire you to go and, you know, check out films. In this case, it was like, you know, Walter Hill and the Warriors led me to Xenophon, and I started researching Xenophon and his book, The Anabasis, uh, and then I found another a great book called The Ten Thousand, uh, which is kind of a fictionalized novelization of, of, of the, his story, and I loved that book, and um, that told the whole story of Anabasis as well. I just thought it was a great notion, and then and the concept of Centurion about these uh, these guys trapped behind enemy lines, which again is like that, that the notion of that whole story came from a friend of mine in a pub telling me about the Ninth Legion of Rome marching into Scotland and disappearing without a trace. And that immediately, you know, uh, uh, inspired me to like research that story and try and find out about it. And then thinking that it would make a great movie one day. And this is all like 10 years before I ever made it. But uh, and so a combination of these things and I led, led me to this notion of this handful of Roman soldiers kind of trapped behind enemy lines 
in the Highlands of Scotland, uh, trying to fight their way back to Hadrian's Wall. So obviously, it kind of took a leaf out of the Warriors, took a leaf out of Xenophon, and, uh, and and but it was all based on a myth of its own, and trying to trying to establish that. So yeah, it was it was all of those things come came together. You also stated that directing the Game of Thrones Blackwater was a real treat because you got to set people on fire, you got to chop the top of someone's head off, you got to bash <laughs> someone's head in with a rock. And what would be your dream cinematic kill that you would like to do? Oh, uh, oh um, I suppose I'd like to like you know uh, have somebody explode. It's not like like with a bomb or anything, but just have somebody explode in a really like cool way. I don't know. It's just it's it's when you're doing it on set and it's all like rubber and you know uh, fake blood and stuff like that. It's a lot of fun. It's um, uh, your imagination, you know, is, gets carried away. But it's uh, what would be like perfect. Oh yeah, I want to blow somebody up. I've not blown anybody up before. Okay, uh, you talk about. Uh, I've listened to your audio commentaries, and you talk about going to the pub frequently when you have problems. My question is, does going to the pub and having liquid refreshment help creativity? Um, Well, it's very much a part of the culture in the UK. The the pub is is where you go to socialize, and quite often, you know, you have a few drinks while you're doing it. But it's a a combination of, it's mostly just being with friends, and talking about your ideas and bouncing your ideas around a group of friends, that that was always like a great source of inspiration for me. And like, you you quickly find out what works, what doesn't work. And with a bunch of friends who are not, you know, who are totally honest and will tell you if something's really terrible or uh, tell you if something's really good. And and it's a great way of, of feeling out these ideas. And yeah, and a few beers certainly helps um, get the creative juices flowing a little bit. It's it's you know. I know, I know, I know. Writers, I don't. I've never tried this myself, but I know writers who have this method of like, you know, having a couple of beers while they're writing, and then after, then they have a coffee, and then they'll like leave it a couple of hours and have another couple of beers. That's like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something to that. I haven't tried it myself, but yeah, for for me, it was just a question of just socializing with friends and, and trying out my ideas on them, really. Okay. Uh... You're directing the new Hellboy movie called Hellboy Rise of the Queen. Are you going to be able to put your personal stamp on the project? And did you have anything to do with casting David Harbour of uh, Stranger Things as the new Hellboy, taking over for Ron Perlman? Uh, well, David David was a, a kind of a, a group consensus, really. I think as soon as his name was mentioned, we all you know, unanimously agreed that he would be a fantastic choice for the role. So, so that was easy. As for putting my own stamp on it, yeah, I certainly, I certainly hope so, intend to. I think, uh, I think that's kind of what the audiences are expecting, really. Is this little bit of, uh, you know, my my version of events, you know. So, yeah. Okay, and you're also working on the Netflix remake of Lost in Space. And were you a fan of the original series? And can you talk about the new series? I guess I was, uh, you know, a big fan of the original Lost in Space. Um, certainly, was it wasn't um, when I was growing up. I think it, it, it took a while for it to play on in, on UK TV. It, certainly, I didn't see it, you know, when it first when it first ran, or even when it you know ran two or three times after that. I guess I must have seen it in the 70s for the first time, or the 80s maybe. But you know, much like Star Trek, I was a, a big fan of all of TV science fiction. 
and that was no exception. And so getting the opportunity to um, kind of revamp it and update it and, and I'll put a new spin on it for contemporary audiences and for Netflix as well uh, was an amazing opportunity and, and a, a very, very, very fun thing to do. I can't tell you much more than that about it at this stage. It's that, you know, they're still, I think they're shooting just the last episode now. Um, but, you know, I was up in Vancouver for nearly seven, eight months working on that. Um, and it's, it's going to be spectacular. It's going to be amazing. Okay. And what's your favorite video, Nasty, and why? Ooh. Um, well, I mean, there was one film. Yeah, there's one film on the video nasty list that that everybody says was not deserving of being on the list, and they're right. Uh, it's probably Texas Chainsaw Massacre, or possibly Evil Dead. I mean, both of those films were on the list, but compared to some of the other films that were on the video nasty list, they're, they're you know they're works of art. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Of course. It, it's intensity. It's not about the you know. It's not about the, the nastiness. It's not about the blood because there's very little blood. There's very little uh, gore or anything or violence in it. It's just so intense, and I and I really really admire that. And the final question. And I recently watched a documentary called Future Shock: The Story of 2000 AD. And were you influenced at all by this comic? Uh, I used to read quite a bit of 2008 as a kid. Yeah, I, I, I suddenly, it's certainly inspired by it. Uh, a lot of the different ideas. I think I, you know, I, a lot of Doomsday came from the idea of futuristic soldiers, and obviously, like aliens, help, you know, heavily inspired that as well. So this, um, it was 2008. It was like Rogue Trooper and Judge Dredd and all those characters that were like futuristic, had futuristic uh, elements and soldiers and things like that in them. I was also a big fan of. Um, there's a, there was a, a strip in it called uh, Flesh about uh, these guys going to uh, going into the past to hunt dinosaurs for their meat, which I still think would make a you know great uh, a great movie sometime. As would Rogue Trooper. There's so many there's so many great you know visual or uh, narrative ideas in there. The storytelling was always great. So it was it was kind of mature science science fiction for for you know kids to read. It was very very good. I would like to thank Neil Marshall for agreeing to do the interview. Remember, The Descent will be shown Saturday, October 7th, 2017 at 2 p.m. at the Downtown Public Library on 615 Church Street in the Auditorium. Today's music is from The Descent by David Julian.